All right, I'd invite you to open your Bibles with me to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation 2, and we'll be in verses 18 to 29 together. We're continuing to take a look at the seven churches of Revelation and the unique message that Jesus gives to each of these churches. We've already taken a look at three churches. Today we're going to look at the church at Thyatira. The first church we looked at was the church at Ephesus. If you remember, if we could describe the church at Ephesus, it was the loveless church. Jesus commanded that church to remember from where they had fallen, how they had lost their love and devotion to Christ, and to repent and to repeat the first things. Then we went to the church at Smyrna. The church at Smyrna could be described as the suffering church, the persecuted church. And Jesus only had commendations for that church, no corrections, and he encouraged the church to fear not and to remain faithful so that they would, they would enjoy the reward of the crown of eternal life. Uh, last time we were together, we talked about the church at Pergamos. If you recall, that would be the compromising church. To that church, he called that church to repent of the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, lest he come to them with, to fight against them with the sword of his mouth. And he calls them who are faithful to overcome and to enjoy the reward that comes with it. And tonight, we get to talk about the church at Thyatira. We talked about the loveless church, the suffering church, the compromising church. Thyatira could be described as the corrupt church. Despite the corruption, Jesus has some commendations, and we're going to consider what is Jesus' message to this church, and what can we learn from it? Let's go ahead and read it together, beginning in verse 18. The text reads this way, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet like fine brass. I know your works... Love, sincere faith, since, excuse me, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality, to eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality. And she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. Now to you, I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but, but hold fast what you have till I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels. As I also have received from my father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. As we get to read the four, about the fourth church and the message that Jesus gives to it, we get to consider a few things together. If I could give you just a, a few headings that will guide our study tonight. The first thing we'll look at is the context in verse 18. 
We'll then consider the commendations of the letter given by Christ in verse 19. We'll move into the corrections that Christ gives in verses 20 to 23. And then we'll consider the counsel of Christ in verses 24 to 29 to the end. But let's begin with the context of the letter. As we've seen in the previous messages given to the other churches where Jesus describes both the recipient and the author of the letter. He begins and says to the angel of the church in Thyatira. Now we begin with the recipient as he has previously. He addresses it to the angel of each of these churches. If you've been with us in our study, we've said that this angel can refer to a heavenly messenger or an earthly messenger. Probably refers to the local pastor, the lead pastor of these churches who is going to receive the message and is going to share it with the church. And this church is located in Thyatira. You take a look at a map uh, where all of these seven churches are located. It's modern-day Turkey. It's uh, Asia Minor back then. Thyatira is about 40 miles southeast of Pergamos or Pergamum, the church that we talked about last time in, in relationship to where the city was at, and so a little bit south and towards the east. It was um, a small city. It was the smallest city where a church was located in comparison to the other seven cities. But although it was the smallest city, and so it was most likely a smaller church, this church receives the longest letter. Isn't that interesting? And I'd like to suggest it's a helpful reminder to us that when it comes to Jesus, Jesus is not so much interested in the size of the church as much as the faithfulness of the people within the church. Jesus is more interested in doctrinal purity. Jesus is interested in moral purity. He's not so much focused on the size, but the faithfulness of the people who make up each of these churches. When we think of the trade of this city, um, Thyatira was known uh, for its manufacturing of purple, the purple dyes and purple cloths. You may recall Lydia from Acts chapter 16, a, a woman who sold purple. And I'd like to read that text to you because uh, she might be significant. In Acts 16, 14 to 16, it says, and this was Lydia when she was in Philippi and Paul is ministering there, and she comes to faith in her household. Now, a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. We don't see Thyatira throughout scriptures and so it very well may be Lydia who was the one along with her household who comes back to Thyatira to share the good news of the gospel that saved her and saved her household. And possibly that is how the church at Thyatira was first born. Or it could be the influence of Ephesus, if you recall in the book of Acts, it was experienced all throughout Asia Minor. But this is significant. And so they were known for manufacturing of this purple dye and these purple cloths. They were also known for their many trade guilds or their trade unions. If you were going to make any form of income in Asia Minor, especially Thyatira, you would join a trade guild, but each of these trade guilds or trade unions were associated with some form of pagan worship. And so it was associated with a pagan god or a pagan idol, and so you would participate in pagan rituals if, if you were going to work there. And you would worship their gods accordingly. And so one of the ways that you would earn the favor of the gods is by going and sleeping with the temple prostitutes before or after work. 
You can imagine if you were a believer and a Christian and you said, we don't worship any God except for the Lord Jesus Christ and you need to make a living, you've got a wife, you've got children and they say you're going to compromise the favor of the gods if you don't participate in these pagan rituals or worship these false gods. And so you can imagine the pressure that put on these believers in Thyatira. So we begin with the recipient of this letter. It's to the angel of the church in Thyatira. Then we get to learn about how Jesus is described to each of these churches. And it's interesting to note that all of these descriptions are already told to us back in chapter 1, if you read through them. But each of these churches receive a different description of Christ that is relevant to the situation that they are in. And so if this church is described as the corrupt church, what they needed to be reminded is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He's got eyes like flames of fire. He's got feet that are like fine brass. And so what we're reminded is Jesus Christ, who writes to this church, the corrupt church, even though Jesus has some commendations and corrections, he... he, he, He he tells them, I am the Son of God. And he reminds them that as the Son of God, he has all authority and power. Now, this is interesting to note because only in this verse, in in all of Revelation, this is the only place that Jesus is referred to as the Son of God as opposed to the Son of Man. Isn't that interesting? In chapter 1, verse 13, you'll see Jesus is described as the Son of Man. You know, remember, if John the Apostle, he, he turns around and he sees this, someone like the Son of Man walking among these seven golden lampstands, which represent the seven churches, holding seven stars in his right hand. And what it's telling us is, is that Jesus, uh, well, when it talks about him as the Son of Man, it's putting the emphasis on his humanity, right? So he sees someone like the Son of Man, but when we're talking about the Son of God, it's putting an emphasis on his deity, as the, son of God, as the Son of God, just like, his, just like the Father, he carries all authority and power because he is of the same essence as God. If God the Father is eternal, if he is eternal, if God the Father is the first and the last, the beginning and the end, so is Jesus Christ. And he has authority when he speaks to these churches, our church and the church at Thyatira, the corrupt church. So he first describes himself as the son of God. Secondly, he describes himself as glorious from the top of his head down to the tips of his toes. Isn't this an amazing description of Christ? It says that he's got the son of God, God has eyes like a flame of fire. He's got piercing eyes and nothing is hidden from the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing is hidden when it comes to our lives, when it comes to our minds, when it comes to our thoughts, when it comes to our relationships. Everything is exposed before him who has these piercing eyes and nothing is hidden from him in the church. We may try to sweep things under the rug. There may be sins that we, are, we think are secret sins, but the reality is nothing is hidden by the Lord. And these eyes with flames of fire remind us that he has piercing eyes and nothing is hidden from him. And it also reminds us of his purifying judgment. As his eyes pierces into the sin in this church and other churches and the sins of our hearts, This glorious one, nothing is hidden from him. Reminds me of Hebrews 4.13 and it says, and there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked 
and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. He's glorious from the top of his head down to the tips of his toes. He's got feet that are like fine brass. He stands in power and he stands in purity. Let me read to you the description Back in Revelation chapter 1, verses 15 to 15, 14 to 15, it says this, his head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. If you picture Christ, what do you picture in your mind? I mean, this is quite the image. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. You can imagine rushing waters or a waterfall, and you can consider the voice of the Lord. And so we're reminded he is the glorious one. From the top of his head down to the tips of his toes. And he reminds the corrupt church. He reminds the church at Thyatira and he reminds Twin Rivers Church. He is the son of God with eyes like flames of fire, with feet like fine brass who stands in power and in purity. What do we need to be reminded of? How does that relate to you and I this evening? We need to be reminded he is the glorious one. He is the son of God and we stand accountable before him. We will give an account. We will stand and give an account before him. Secondly, as the glorious one, as the son of God, he also uh, has eyes that can see all things and nothing is hidden from him. It's a, it's a reminder for us this evening to consider that there are no hidden sins with God. If I were to take a moment and to ask you, are there any sins in your heart, in your life, in your mind that only you and God know about and have gone unconfessed or unrepented of, as that sin pops into your mind, deal with it at the cross. Jesus is the glorious one. He's got eyes like flames of fire. Deal with it accordingly. Be reminded that Jesus, as the Son of God, he stands in power and in purity. When you pray to the Lord Jesus Christ, we're invited to view him as glorious as he truly is is yes god is our father in heaven we can come to him as a child crying out abba father but but we in humility also recognize his greatness his holiness his power and so i wanted to invite us in for some conversation here discussion um, how should this description of christ affect how we approach god when we come before him in prayer when we come before him and worship, knowing he's glorious from the top of his head to the tips of his toes. He can see if your heart is uh, uh, sinful or not. He can tell if there's any unconfessed sin. He, he knows if you're being hypocritical or not. How, how does that affect how we prepare for worship, how we enter into prayer? What would you say? Yeah, it's very humbling. When we recognize how holy God is and how powerful God is, it reminds us of how weak we are and how desperate we are and how sinful we are. Yeah, humbly. Any, any other way? How do you prepare coming into his presence as he's been described here as the glorious one? Yeah, Charlie. Oh, yeah. As a humble servant, 
saying, Lord, here I am. What, what would you have me do? Yeah. Chad, did you say something? Oh, yeah. Reverence and fear, not fearing being in his presence, but, but fearing the sense that he is holy and great and all-powerful. Amen. Yeah. Anything else? Any other ways we should prepare to come into his presence? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Just coming together with the people of God saying, we need to be ready, we need to be prepared. Anything else comes to mind? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you can't fool him. You can't be casual before him. You need to recognize he sees all. Yeah. You know, when I think of this, I think about preparing to go see um, a high-ranking governing official. You go in, I mean, you probably are going to dress nicely, you know, get prepared. You want to speak to them in the proper manner. If I'm going to come into the presence of Christ and he's got these eyes like our flames of fire standing in power and purity, I don't know about you, but I, I want to be sure there's no sin in my heart or my life. And I need to say, God, uh, I don't know if there's any unconfessed sin, but if there is, uh, make me aware of it. Lord, if there's any attitudes that have been out of line, make me aware of that. Actions that I've walked in, you know, um, affections that were outside of your will or your desire for my life and just taking the time to say, Lord, I, 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 I am a sinful individual. You think of people who stand before God and he appears before them, they get on their face as we've been saying and they say, woe is me, you know, a man of unclean lips and it's just a reminder, he's such a holy God but it's also a reminder of what privilege we have to come into the presence of Jesus, the holy one, the all-powerful one, the glorious one. We get to come into the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ because he's made us clean because he has redeemed us and we get to worship him, not just individually, but corporately. And the kind of church and the kind of worship he desires is that which is pure and holy in his sight. So we began with the context and we're reminded of who Jesus is, the glorious one, the son of God, glorious from the top of his head to the tips of his toes. Secondly, we get to see the commendations. Now you got to read the corrections as well as I did and they were pretty serious corrections and they were pretty serious consequences. I mean, the way that Jesus describes them, aren't you grateful Jesus started with the commendations? Aren't you grateful that Jesus begins by encouraging them and he tells them, there are a few things I have against you, but there are also many things that I want to commend you for. That which is commendable is that which is praiseworthy, that which Christ um, affirms and that's that's good to hear about and so it's a reminder as, as we go into verse 19 that that Jesus he affirms us for the good that he sees he says um, in verse 19 I know your works 
I know the good that you do as a church, even though there are some false teachers who you've been tolerant of. I know your good deeds. I know the ministries and the effectiveness of, your, of the church. At the end of verse 19, he's going to say, and I know that the works that you've done now are, are even greater than the ones you did prior. In other words, your work ethic has grown stronger. You remember the church at Ephesus, he said, I know your work, I know your labor, you work to the point of exhaustion. This church, once again, is commended for their work and their work ethic, and they, not, they have not become lazy. Rather, over time, their work has increased for the Lord. He says, I know your love. Ephesus, if you remember, was the church who lacked love but had doctrinal purity. This is the church that lacks doctrinal purity but has love. He says, you have love. What is love? The term there is agape love. It's Christ's love. It's unconditional. It's sacrificial. It's selfless. And the love that Christ has shown those who are faithful among the body is the same love that they um, demonstrate to one another and back towards God and their love and devotion to God and to his people He commends them for their service as they put into action the spiritual gifts that God has given them and they serve the Lord in the local church as the body is equipped and the lost are evangelized. We all have gifts, spiritual gifts that have been provided by the Holy Spirit. We each have at least one and this church is affirmed, is commended for using those gifts inside Outside the church, your faith. He says you have faith in God. What is faith? Faith is believing that God will do what he said he will do and acting accordingly. If God said it, I believe it, and my life is going to demonstrate it. I trust him. If you have faith in God, you're not necessarily going to see worry in your life because you trust him. You're not going to worry about what you're wearing or the, the, the clothes that you have on your back, the roof over your head, because you know that he is the one who is the provider of all things. And when you have faith in him, you don't have time to worry. You don't have time to stress out. They have faith in their God and also their patience and their perseverance. We said earlier some of the challenges they faced were these trade guilds, right? Where they faced the pressures of worshiping false gods and idols. Some of them most likely lost their jobs, perhaps, Some have lost their businesses because of their inability to work with other businesses in town. Who knows? And yet in the midst of the pressures that they experienced, they continued to persevere. They continued to maintain having patience. And God allows them to be in these difficult circumstances so that their perseverance can be made known and their patience can be revealed. As for your first works, the last are more than The first, And so we're reminded of the commendation. What does that tell our church? I would like to give us two things. Number one, be encouraged knowing that Christ sees the good that we do here. We've said that for every church. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, and now Thyatira, and certainly to Twin Rivers Church. God sees the good that we do, even though there might be corrections that he might give us. Even though there might be some different things he would encourage us to do differently, be encouraged that Christ sees the good that this church does. Be encouraged that Christ sees the good that you do as a member of this church. Exercising your gifts, edifying the body, evangelizing the lost. And secondly, be eager to serve God with the gifts that he has given to each one of us. You've been given at least one gift. Question is, are you using it? 
Are you serving the body? Is the church being edified, built up according to their needs in Christ Jesus? And are you seeing others as you get to share your faith or encourage them in the word, coming to faith? Or are you praying for them and seeing the fruit that comes from it? If I could open it up for discussion here, which ministries of our church would you say are most effective and which ministries of the church could be more effective? What would you say, Twin Rivers, um, in terms of the ministries of the church, wow, we do this well, or maybe there's a ministry that you'd say, we can do better here. You can share. Our children's ministry, Judy said. Yeah, just pouring into the next generation. Um, you know, when you come here to the church, you hear a lot of families who say, you're going to get the Bible here. You're going to uh, get the truth of God's word uh, Spoken to the, the children of our church pouring into the next generation. Anything else? Yeah, Charlie. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good. Well, we're glad they're generous. They still provided Charlie's next. So women's ministry is active and uh, uh, fellowship for the ladies, certainly. Anything else? You'd say the church does this well, church could do this better. Yeah, just the, the uh, teaching of the word of God and prioritizing God's word, certainly. Yeah, yeah Steve. Yeah, being a hospitable church and uh, being welcoming, certainly. Yeah. How about on the other side? Areas of ministry we could, we could do better in. Maybe we do well, maybe we could do better. Or maybe there's an area of ministry that we could grow in. What do you think? Yeah. 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 So... Um, Discipleship and pouring one on one, pouring in one on one with specific individuals in the church, pouring in the truths of God's word. As you're poured into, you pour out to another person as God blesses you accordingly. Yeah. Anything else? Yeah. Yeah. So a question a church might ask is if. For whatever reason, Twin Rivers ceased to exist today. Would there be any difference in the community? Would anything be felt that was different, like in terms of our impact for Christ? And so I think that's a good question to ask. Um, maybe in some ways, in some of the outreaches we're doing, but um, uh, Wanda's saying perhaps there could be more um, uh, growth in terms of reaching out to our community or um, serving Christ. You know, not just serving goods, but also the gospel and knowing that our ultimate goal is to see people come to faith in Jesus as their Savior and Lord, meet physical needs and meet spiritual needs, certainly. Anyone else want to share? Yeah. Well, now's your chance, so. <laughs> and so the commendations, and then we go into the corrections, the corrections. And Jesus, in verses 20 to 23, gives us those corrections. Or, yeah, 20 to 23 gives us those corrections. He says, nevertheless, that's difficult to hear, right? All of these commendations, I know your work, I know your service, I, I, I know your patience and perseverance, I know your work. Nevertheless, I have a few things 
against you. The church at Ephesus, I have one thing against you. You've left your first love. You don't love God as Christ as you once did. Remember, repent, and repeat. Church at Pergamos, I have a few things against you. Smyrna, nothing. He didn't say he had anything against the persecuted church, the suffering church. This church, he says, I have a, a few things against you. But I want you to know why he tells them this. It's, it's not so that he can destroy the church immediately, but so that he gives them an opportunity to repent. And he says, I have a few things against you. And you get to see the grace of Christ at work uh, uh, because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants, to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols. And so what they were allowing was false teaching. And this false teaching comes from a false teacher who is identified in the text as Jezebel. Jezebel probably wasn't her name, but the reason she's called Jezebel is because of an Old Testament wife to the King Ahab in Israel's history who, in the same way Jezebel in the Old Testament corrupted Israel, this false prophetess, as she calls herself, has been corrupting the church in Thyatira. Let me read to you 1 Kings 16, 31 to 33. It says this, And it came to, came to pass as though it had been a trivial thing to him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took a wife, Jezebel, the, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and he went and served Baal and worshipped him. Then he set up an altar to, for Baal in the temple of Baal. And so this is Israel, right? This is the king of Israel, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a wooden image Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. And in the same way Jezebel corrupted Israel, so this false prophetess was corrupting the local church. And Jesus says this, I have this against you. He doesn't call out Jezebel necessarily. He gave her a chance to repent. He'll say that in a moment. He calls out the church for allowing and tolerating her teaching that is leading the people of God astray. What does that tell the church? Don't put up with false teaching. Don't put up with false doctrine. See how Jesus takes it seriously, that he says, you are putting up with it. You're patient with this. You know, we live in a day and age where we love to talk of the past decade, the past 20 years, uh, the, 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 the word tolerance has become popularized. Now, the world may have a different definition of tolerance um, than what tolerance may actually be. You know, if you have a different belief system than me, I'm not going to attack you for it. I'm gonna allow you to believe what you believe and I can believe what I believe and I'm not going to call you a hater because you don't believe what I believe. But when it comes to tolerance of sin, when it comes to tolerance of doctrinal error, Jesus Christ has no tolerance for that. He's got eyes that are like flames of fire, feet like fine brass. He stands in power and purity and he will not put up with impurity in his church. And so he calls out this woman named Jezebel. You allow that woman Jezebel, who, she calls herself a prophetess and so she's got a name for herself. And, she, and what is she teaching? And to, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and, and eat things sacrificed to idols. 
We don't know exactly what she was saying, but probably, as we were talking about those trade guilds, she was saying, you can still be a follower of Jesus, and as you make a living for yourself and take care of your family, you can still go out and sleep with the temple prostitutes. You can still engage in these pagan rituals. Don't worry, it's certainly fine. Christ isn't going to hold you accountable for it. Perhaps she was teaching that um, what the Gnostics believed, you know, it's one thing to be spiritual, it's another thing to have your physical body, and so you're not sinning against God in any way. So just twisting the truth and, and whatever means she was leading these people astray and to participate in sexual morality. Verse 22, Jesus has some very strong words. Stronger words than you read in all of these seven churches. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation un, unless they repent of their deeds. Jesus threatens them. He said, I'm going to cast you into a sick bed. What does that mean? Well, she's going to become sick. And then it says destruction. And then verse 23, death. I will kill her children with death. What is he talking about? Those who follow her. Those who follow follow her false teaching, participate in these pagan rituals, sleep with the temple prostitutes and participate in sexual immorality and compromise their purity. Those who are led astray, they're not just compromising, they are fully corrupt. And it goes on to say, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. So he has very strong words for this church. If we could just pause here for a moment and consider what that means for us in light of that threat. I'd like to give you a few things. The first is, is if Jesus is intolerant of false doctrine, so should we. Uh, any twisting of scripture, any twisting of the deity and humanity of Christ and the orthodox teaching of God's word, we take that seriously. We protect the pulpit. If Jesus is intolerant of false doctrine, so should we. Secondly, if Jesus is intolerant of sin in the local church, so should we. Intolerant of the sins of others, but hey, intolerant of our own sins, right? It's easy to say, oh yeah, this is a good message for you, buddy, right? But then we take a look at it, and as we point fingers to someone else, we've got sin in our own hearts and minds, and it's a reminder, deal with your sin at the cross first, and then you can point out the sin of others. You know, take care of that block in your eye before you talk about someone else, and so don't condone what God condemns. Don't say, yes, you can live that way or encourage someone to live a lifestyle outside of God's will for their lives in accordance with God's word. Thirdly, if Jesus is gracious in providing an opportunity for repentance, we should seize the opportunity. Why does Jesus threaten them with destruction and ultimately death? And this woman was given an opportunity to repent and she didn't so that they will repent and turn to him. Repent while they're still Time, turn to Christ and deal with your sin at the cross and experience the grace of God that covers a multitude of sins. When my sin was great, his grace was greater still. We sing that. What a wonderful thing to be reminded 
of the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know how Jesus is presented here, glorious from the top of his head to the tip of his toes as with eyes like a flame of fire and feet like fine brass. Although he has this purifying presence about him and, and a purifying judgment about him, he's standing back and waiting for us to turn to him and turn away from our sin. What a gracious God we worship and serve. And so let me ask this question. What kinds of corruption might threaten the local churches in America today? Whether it be doctrinally or morally, what's the greatest threat to our church or the church in America? What would you say we need to watch out for? Yeah, children. Yeah. The culture wants to indoctrinate children with things outside of the truth of God's word. And so we need to protect our children and teach them the truths of God's word. And as we prayed for the next generation tonight. We need to pray for them. And so the next generation is under attack. It only takes one generation for the church to go extinct who's not following the Lord. Yeah. Anything else? What else is a threat to the purity of the church? Yeah, Kevin. Yeah, not taking sin seriously, just being complacent and compromising it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so just a, not the true, true gospel. Instead, we're talking about name it and claim it, certainly. And um, yeah. yeah. Anything else? Yeah. Certainly. So when we are looking to please one another or please man over God, that's a difficult place to be. And when, if you're a people pleaser, as many of us are, it can be difficult. But our allegiance and loyalty to Christ comes first. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone else wanted to share? Yeah. And so there's just a number of different things that threaten the local church, uh, threaten the, the church. And we, we can't put up with it. Christ doesn't put up with it. And then he concludes with the council, verses 24 to 29. And he says, Now to you I say, and to the rest in Thyatira. So this is a reminder that there are groups of people within the church, some who are following the false teaching and are participating in the pagan rituals and participating in sexual immorality and being led astray. And so there's a group of, of those who are followers of this Jezebel prophetess, this self-proclaimed prophetess, but there are also a group who are among the faithful. And Jesus turns his focus to those among the body who are among the faithful, and he says, now to you I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, those who remain faithful to me, those who continue to pursue the truth of Scripture and pursue the purity of life. It says, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan. What is he saying? Those who have not believed the depths of Satan's lies. Those who have not come under the depths of Satan's influence. Those who have not engaged in these pagan rituals and participated in this sexual immorality and have compromised their faith by following this false teacher. He says here, who have not known the, the, the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden. 
Jesus says, I want to talk to you. I'm not going to put any other burden on you but here, but hold fast what you have till I come. What they're reminded here is hold on to Jesus. Hold on to your love and devotion to him. Hold on to the truth of who Jesus is as the one who came from heaven to earth, who died, who rose again three days later after being buried, and who who ascended to the right hand of the Father and who's coming back again in glory. You better believe it. Put your faith in the promise of God that he's coming back again. He's going to right every wrong. Put your hope in this Jesus who's glorious from the top of his head to the tips of his toes, whose eyes are piercing. He sees the depths of our hearts and nothing is hidden from him. Hold on to the truth of who Jesus is in accordance with his word. And if ever false doctrine should come in, if ever the temptation to be led astray should be should come in, hold fast to Jesus. Don't Give up your faith. Jesus is coming back again. That's the hope that we have. Now, false teachers, what they were doing, both in this time and other letters that we read about, is they were denying the return of Christ. They're denying the reality that Jesus is coming back again for his people, that he's going to judge the quick and the dead. So you can live however you want. No, no, until he comes back. Verse 26, and he who overcomes and keeps my works unto Till the end to him, I will give power over the nations. Wow. We know that the one who came from heaven to earth died, rose again, ascended to the right hand of the Father, coming back again in glory and is going to reign and rule forevermore. We know him and what we're told, if we overcome until the end, we are going to reign with him. Isn't that awesome? We get to reign with Christ. And so the text is quoted here in verse 27. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels as I also have received from my father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. When will we rule with Christ? When you take a look at the end times, the events that precede the tribulation is the rapture. And Christ will call those in the church to be with him. After seven years of tribulation, at the end of that, Christ will come back for his people and he will reign and rule on the earth for a thousand years with his people. Isn't that awesome? Let me read you some scriptures. In Revelation 24 to 6, 24 to 6 it says, and I saw, saw thrones, excuse me, and they... They sat on them and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads after the tribulation or on their hands and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. How exciting. 1 Timothy 2.12 says, This is a faithful saying, For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. We get to reign with Christ. Amen. Um, and so we're reminded we get to reign with Christ. And then also, it says, um, uh, as I have also received from my Father, I will give to him the morning star. Revelation twenty two sixteen speaks of that. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you to these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. 
what do we get to enjoy as overcomers who don't compromise, who are not corrupted by moral impurity or doctrinal error? We get to reign with Christ and we have Christ. As you hold on to him now, you have the promise that you will hold on to him for all eternity. And those who are truly his will persevere to the end. There's nothing that can take Jesus away from you or me. Nothing we have to fear. And so if there was any application for us this evening, two things. The first is hold fast. Hold fast to the Lord Jesus Christ. Hold fast to your testimony of faith. Hold fast to your witness that Christ has given you to be faithful, to declare the gospel to as many people as possible. Make Jesus famous in all of the earth. Don't be led astray by doctrinal error. Don't be tempted by moral impurity, but hold fast to the Lord Jesus Christ. And secondly, look forward to his return. Jesus is coming back. And he's coming back, not necessarily as a baby in a manger, or as a suffering servant who came to die, he's coming back as a conquering king who will rule and reign forevermore, and he shall reign forever and ever, and we have the blessing to reign with him. Can we pray? Father, we are grateful for this incredible image of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord We declare Jesus, the one we worship and serve, the head of this church. He is the glorious one. Lord Jesus, we declare you are glorious from the top of your head to the tips of your toes. We know that you have eyes before which nothing is hidden, both in our hearts and our lives and our relationships and our church. And Father, our prayer is that you would expose any sin that we in this moment would deal with our sin at the cross, individually or corporately. Our desire is to be, is to be, is to be genuine and authentic in, in our faith before you. And so, Father, we do pray that you would cleanse us from any sin. We know if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I pray that you would help us hold fast. Hold fast to Jesus We live in a culture and a world where there is so much temptation. There are plenty of opportunities for for doctrinal error to seep in or for us to be tempted by the sin of our choice that seems to lead us astray. Help us to hold fast to our love and devotion to Jesus. Hold fast to our Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, keep on our minds the fact that Jesus Christ is coming back again. And may we look forward to the day that we get to reign with Christ forever and ever. Father, if there's anyone here who who just needs to get right with you because you say in your word, uh, repent lest I come and judgment should come. And so I pray for each heart today that they can turn back to you as believers and if as unbelievers that they would turn from their sin, turn to Christ, admit their need for you, believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God who's come into the world to forgive them and confess Jesus as Savior And Lord, we're grateful for our time this evening and we pray it all in Jesus' name, amen.